What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. Hey, man. How you doing? I am... I'm, I'm pretty relaxed right now. Pretty relaxed right now? Pretty relaxed, anxious, free, uh, anxiety free. A little bit of weight lifted off your shoulders? Huge. Today Huge. was a big day, man. It was a big day across the board. It was a big day for our project. It was a big day for a number of reasons. Yeah. Uh, side, you know, thing that we put together today uh, with exceptional meaning for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, a lot of emotional... Uh, intense. There was emotion today. Like I, I saw emotion mm-hmm. in a major way today. Yeah. On more than one occasion. Yeah, a lot of emotional intent went into today, and uh, that's sort of why it's. I'm sit back, relaxed in a chair, taking a load off after some sushi rolls. Sushi, sake, <laughs> and now Dr Pepper. Deep fried bananas. And deep fried bananas. <laughs> bananas, not bananas. Bananas. Bananas? Bananas. 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 All right. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Legion OST DIY Outdoors podcast. Today, we have Robbie from Blood Origins on with us, and uh, we're sitting in Dixon, California. That's right. We had a really busy day today. Um, I was fortunate enough, Robbie took me behind scenes, Mm -hmm. and uh, we got to run around and, and Kind of makes some serious magic, which we'll get into later in the well, you podcast. You saw the magic. You saw how the magic gets made. It was, I mean, shh. shh. <laughs> Don't tell it. Shh. You know, and, and uh, it was a privilege and an honor for me. It's an honor for us. To get to be included and to be a part of. Um, absolutely 100% appreciative of the opportunity. Um, well, it's sort of. It emulates the project. Yeah. This project's about us. This project's about our, our community. And, uh, you know, somebody says, hey, you mind me tagging along? Yeah. I was like, come on. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Grind it out. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about us, about yourself? Where are you from? Sure. You know, where are you at now? And then we'll dive into a little bit of the history of you and your family. And Yeah, no problems. Yeah. Uh, so you can tell I'm not American. I... I wouldn't guess that. I am uh, uh, born and raised in South Africa, um, bo- sort of born to a, a family steeped in hunting heritage. Uh, my grandfather, father lived and, and breathed and hunted the heyday of Africa. Uh, my grandfather actually hunted the, as he called it, the second hunting paradise that this world had to offer, which was Northern China, Mongolia, Siberian tiger. Whoa. Yeah, in the thirties and forties. So wait, what was what was he hunting out there? Just So you've probably never heard anybody that's that has hunted pheasants in Tibet. No. My grandfather has hunted pheasants in Tibet. White eared pheasants. Really? And ringnecks. Um and he pretty much stag was pretty much common. Yeah. Yeah, at one point in, in my grandfather's life. Multiple revolutions were going through northern China at the time, post-World War II, and he was the epitome of a hunter-gatherer. He was in the woods, in the deep snow, killing deer, stashing them, 
and then bringing them home to feed the family. So no mounts, no mounts, no skulls, no nothing, nothing food. left over, just food, food. Yeah. And so that's uh, part of who I am. I was raised in South Africa, uh, in a town called Johannesburg, eight and a half million people. Um, no opportunities to hunt, no public land, no public licenses. Um, and it's funny, my father, my grandfather never actually talked about hunting. You would have thought I would have had, you know, bukus of stories around a fire about elephants and buffalo and all the shenanigans that they came, you know, they got up to. Yeah. And never had one of those stories. Yeah. And I think the reason being is that my father and grandfather realized that what was, was no longer. Uh-huh. And because of that, they just didn't want to set this, like, this place that Beautiful they got to... Ex- stage. Yeah that, that, yeah, that they got to experience and that I was never going to ever experience. Yeah. But uh, fortunate enough, I was um, lucky enough to come to the States and did a PhD. And what did you get your PhD in? Uh, biology. Mm-hmm. And um, essentially, I say biology, but... The particulars? It, the particulars are I'm a wetland ecologist by training with an emphasis in aquatic biogeochemistry. So... Now, what is that? Uh, wetland ecology is the study of swamps and all things wetland. And that was my passion. That's when I was 16 years old, I was in the swamps of the Okavango Delta in Botswana with my grandfather, mm-hmm. the one who's sort of the impetus behind the project that we're doing today. And uh, I fell in love with water and wetlands and plants and whatnot. It was... The Okavango Swamp is an oligotrophic system, so it's a nutrient-poor system. Mm-hmm. So the water is crystal, crystal clear. Mm-hmm. If you've got a nutrient-rich system, the water is typically turbid. Mm-hmm. Lots of algae, you know, sediment and whatnot in it. Um, the Okavango Swamp is an oligotrophic system, so it's very nutrient-poor, so the water is crystal clear. So you can look to the bottom, 14 feet down, and you can see hippo trails. You can see hippo footprints. Wow. It's an incredible... <laughs> Bastion of wilderness. Wait, wait. So you can actually look through fourteen feet of water and see where hippopotamuses travel. Oh, it's underwater. Like, so think of like a deer trail. Yeah, it's a hippo trail underwater. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Okay, so here you are. You're you're learning all this and stuff. So I just fell in love with swamps, and so. Then I needed to make it more applicable, mm-hmm. and so that was where the, the biogeochemistry came in. So my job was to see how I can put wetland features into agricultural landscapes mm-hmm. to mitigate nitrogen and phosphorus moving downstream, uh-huh. so into rivers and lakes and eventually the coastal system. Really? So that's what I do. That's my day job. Okay, so you have a day job. <laughs> yeah, 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 I do. I'm the chief scientific officer of a small consulting company. And we do a lot of restoration and conservation in the state of Mississippi. And how do you like that? Uh, it's a career-defining job for me. Yeah? Yeah. You love it? Love it. Absolutely. Yep. I build islands. I build oyster reefs. I work with marine mammals and sea turtles. Um, you name it, I work with it. So, um, and we're going to kind of go off on a tangent here sure. about oyster reefs. So, yeah. you do oyster reefs, right? Uh-huh. And why are you guys building oyster reefs? What's the benefit for the ecosystem? We have no oysters left. Uh huh. And so, actually, from an oyster's perspective, oysters are probably one of the 
dare I say oysters are keystone species in a, a nearshore marine environment. Mm -hmm. Keystone species is like the keystone of an arch. There's always that big stone that sits in the middle of the arch. Yeah. If, you, if you ever go and see an arch being built yeah. or is built, there's this keystone piece in the that middle. That holds it all together. Keystone holds it all together. And so oysters essentially provide multiple ecosystem services. They filter water. They provide habitat for other critters to live in and on. They attract fish. They grow fish. They um, obviously have a substantial human benefit. Mm -hmm. People like to eat oysters. It's a good economic driver for, for coastal communities. Yeah. And so it's important. And they also have mitigating effects of storm surge and flooding. So there's a lot of different reasons why you'd want to build back oyster reefs. So the reason why I bring it up is the town I grew up in, um, they've been shutting down yeah. oysters on the coast yeah. uh, by my house. Happening in, everywhere. In Marin County. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny to me because <coughs> some of what they're using to fight and say, yes, we need to shut these down and, and close down all the oyster hatcheries or I don't know the proper vernacular <laughs> oyster farms. Sure. It could but, be. Yeah, could be. Yeah. Um, they're shutting them down and everybody, you know, is like, this is the benefit. Right. And then you look at the East Coast and then what's going on down by you and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they're investing more in oysters and, and having. Well, we're investing more in oysters because we've, we've lost pretty much all of our oysters. Mm -hmm. That's why we're investing. Yeah. I don't know why those are shutting down in California. It's either a water quality issue or again, you may not even ha you may have the same situation we're in and that there are no oysters out there. So there's no point. In opening up the oyster grounds for harvest because mm -hmm. all you're doing is damaging the reef even more mm -hmm. so yeah there it, it, it's an awesome job it's an awesome day job um, as I said from a scientist perspective career defining yeah um, and uh, get to play in lots of different restoration pots essentially yeah okay so you're doing that uh-huh all right I think we left off you were still living in South Africa well, that's where I studied. Yeah, I did my okay. master's. I came to the States to do a PhD. Okay. Um, when was hired as a professor in, at Mississippi State in the Wildlife Fisheries Department. So I was a professor for six years. Um, and then got hired into the job that I am in today. What was the most difficult part about being a professor? Oh. Uh, I, think, I think the university system is built on a almost socialist type platform mm -hmm. and so there's you're encouraged never to say no to things but at the same time you don't get compensated for saying yes mm -hmm. <laughs> i'll leave it at that very well put um so you're a professor for six years yep and then then the bpu Orsville happened and i was uh, it's all about who you know in this world and I was asked to be the chief scientist of the new federal entity that got born out of the BP Orsville. And I set up the restoration framework from Florida to Texas. And a uh, big job came with say. huge responsibilities. Yeah. Essentially, the scientific community of the Gulf was looking at me saying, don't mess it up. Yeah. Because you're the only scientist that has a say in the room. Yeah. And um, 
But uh, so I did that job for about nine months and then I got hired from there away from the university to do the same job for the state of Mississippi and that's what I'm doing today. And that's still what you're at? Still where I'm at four years later. We moved uh, my wife and my two small boys down to the Gulf Coast of Mississippi. We live 200 yards off the beach and so mountain hunting is a challenge because yeah. I live at minus 50. How many mountains you got right around? Zero. I've got a bridge. <laughs> I got a bridge that's 200 feet high. That's about the that's tallest it. mountain you got. That's right. Have you climbed that yet? or Multiple times. Yeah. Multiple times getting ready for the past hunting season. Really? Sure. Yeah. Oh, wow. So you can actually go up to the, up on the bridge and like get up high. Uh, yeah, but what you're envisioning my bridge to be is not what you're envisioning it to be. Oh, okay. It's this long bridge that ramps and comes down and the ramp is maybe 200 feet oh gotcha. high yeah. it's a 2.4 mile long bridge that's a solid walk you're it's a solid walk yeah but you're only getting like a 200 feet of elevation slight incline slight yeah correct yeah wow yeah so that's 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 me in a nutshell in terms of you know who i am and where i've come from and uh you know i'm an american citizen now and and a family man. And a family man, and extremely proud of both. Um, and accomplished, as far as school, and I mean, it sounds like some of the things that you've done, that, that's like, to me, that's pretty remarkable. That's, I appreciate it. You know, that's, that's a lot. Next time you see me, you can call me Dr. Kroger. I, I, I'll try. <laughs> I'll try. So, in the midst of all this, obviously you got married. Got married, had right. two wonderful boys, uh, Leo six, Eli five, and um, and uh, yeah, in the middle of all of this, I also got to a friend of mine took me hunting. Mm-hmm. I got my hunter's education card so, in Mississippi. Now was that which was the most frustrating exercise in the world? <laughs> so, getting into hunting uh-huh. was that out of the desire from family history nope. or was that out of it was your own drive to get into it neither oh really no it was just a buddy i met a guy when i first arrived in this country <coughs> his name's landon lee he's a six foot five 260 pound redneck mm-hmm. and he liked to hunt yeah and he was my best mate and uh, he said let's go hunting i said okay he gave me his semi-automatic <laughs> 308 gave me a one of those walmart pop-out uh, tailgate chairs yeah. and he sat me under a cedar tree and he said if a deer comes by shoot it and that's that that's that yeah and yeah that was my start into hunting and really it never it was just a very sporadic exercise yeah and uh, everything was a sporadic hunt like duck hunting was just sporadic mm-hmm. um, let's go see if we can kill a turkey very sporadic yeah. hey white tail deer hunting let's just go see if it's really sporadic and, um, was this public land or private? Because I know private, down, private, private down there mostly a lot of it's private. We've got assume. some good public land oh, okay. in Mississippi, but mostly it's private. There's a lot of little farms that you can hunt and stuff. Yeah, and um, yeah, I don't know when the shift came, but I wrote a story about a duck hunt, and I think it was on that duck hunt that it shifted. I think I, both boys were born now, and I titled the story "Like versus Love." Mm-hmm. And up until that hunt, I was a like-to-hunter. I liked to hunt. Yeah. When it was convenient. Yeah. When the weather was nice. Mm-hmm. When 
when you didn't have to grind it out. When you didn't have to grind it out, when, you know, you're going to see a lot of animals, you know, it was very convenient, very comfortable. Yeah. And that hunt was brutal. I remember waking up to the pounding rain on the tin roof, pounding. Uh Uh-huh. And I woke up and I was like, oh, okay, we're not going hunting today. So I walk out and they're all putting on their gear. I said, we're going hunting in this? And they're like, oh yeah, we are. We're going to smash it. Today's the day they Today move. we are going to shoot them in their faces. Yeah. I was like, what? You've got to be kidding me. And it was cold and my waders leaked and we got in and we tucked ourselves into this, this brush break and, you know, literally I was waist deep in water, you know, crotch full of water because there was a hole in my waders right there. There were four other holes and the birds just wanted where we were. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes the shot was the bird was going into the wind and it was, there was no lead. And there was sometimes where the bird was going with the wind and it was like a 14 foot lead out front of that bird. And you were dropping them with a 14 foot lead. Oh, wow. And it was just like, it was incredible. Like at one point I wrote in the story, I just stopped shooting because I was just, you just watched and there were ducks piling up. Guys were shooting to my right to the left and you just watched all this chaos. Because the wind, the, the chaos of the wind, the chaos of the rain, the chaos of the coldness, yeah, it just all came together. And I was like, whoa, this is what it's like. That was the day. That was it. That's when I went from liking it to loving it. Yeah. And so it was just, it was just, and that's where I think you start, you mentioned this innate thing that's inside me. I think that's when I started exploring what that was. And I actually then started, you know, looking back at what my grandfather did and the stories he wrote and... Exploring family exploring history. Exploring family history. And, and, and that's when my grandfather wrote a lot to me, typed everything. Back then, obviously, typewriters were the way to go. How cool is that? And at my 16th birthday, he type wrote a letter to me. Because I obviously had expressed an interest in hunting. Yeah. And the, and the letter, and I've still got it today. It's on rice paper. And it was, it's the impetus of, of the Blood Origins Project. And it said, Dear Robbie... I'm so glad to hear that you want to go hunting. It must be, quote unquote, in the blood. And that was it. And I've still got it today. And and it's in impeccable condition. It's on the old rice paper that people used to type on. Yeah. And that was it. It was like this exploration of this side of us that, that, yeah, that, that thing that should be inside you, that thing that's inside all of us from generations past about you know who we are as hunters and Mm -hmm. i started exploring that and out of it was born this idea one of storytelling yeah because that art is lost today and it's lost right it's lost but how many storytellers do we have that are phenomenal storytellers across every hunting campfire around the planet Amazing. Thousands. Hundreds of thousands. Because that's what we love to do as hunters. We like to tell stories. About our past hunts. So then why doesn't that translate now to what we see in social media today? Yeah. Nobody wants to tell stories anymore. Yeah. They just want to show the biggest buck or the the biggest strap. The biggest strap of, of ducks. Yeah. Or whatever. It's just... And that's the point of the, the project. The point of the project is let's just 
change this narrative that we've got pigeonholed into mm-hmm. or that we've been forced into the corner to tell yeah. because that's what the industry wanted that's what we were supposed to be showing we're supposed to be showing the bigger baddest buck that you possibly could show yeah and so i was like man i'm done with it yeah well i wondered how much of that goes to hunting magazines for call it the 80s and the 90s and the only way you were ever going to achieve status into a hunting magazine was with a really big buck Mm -hmm. and a really good story Mm -hmm. and now on social media you can see a range of you know very small bucks taken all the way to very large bucks taken yeah yeah and everything in between yeah no, and I think look, I'm not I'm not dogging on the industry. I think that that was just out of necessity. They, yeah, you know that's what the industry was born around. It's so you're going to sell more magazines. It's what sells. It's business. I get business. You, you know, you need to sell a product mm-hmm. by selling a product that kills animals more efficiently. Hey, that's you know that's part and parcel of it. But there's this other side of us that we've just we sort of lost and we sort of forgotten about somewhere along the way. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to do with our project. Yeah. And what's the project? Yeah, it's a simple project, really. It's very simple. You saw it today. Yeah. It's simple. It's a storytelling documentary platform on telling people's stories about why they are hunters. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people's stories, like my story, is, is tied to who I was. Uh, sorry, who my family was but also now exploring this opportunity that America has to offer and everything that I want my boys to experience that was denied to me growing up in South Africa. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it's an intimate, we film it very intimately, we film it very connectedly, we film it out of the box. You know, people don't film the way we film, typically. And uh, our interview style is unique. Our interview style is not the classic one quarter turn you're not looking dead in the camera <laughs> you know you're interviewing somebody yeah and here you're not getting you're not it's not an interview it's it's a, a, a telling of this yeah. a telling of why a telling of a person's reason for being a person's desire to hunt a person's desire to pass that on to the next generation yeah well and as you say it's in our blood which That's right was in the letter, obviously, mm-hmm. that you said your grandfather had... That's right. Well, it's funny. It's in the blood, right? That's what was in the letter. Yeah. And if you watch our episodes and you heard today, yeah, that's what everyone finishes with. So yeah. it's like that thing that was seated in me by my grandfather, typewritten letter in 1992, is now the back end of every single episode that we'll produce on Blood Origins. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, obviously leading an inspiration of and looking at all of the projects you have ahead of you and projects in the in in the rearview mirror. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's the last piece of of what we say in Blood Origins is everyone has a story. (coughs) This one's this is mine. It's in the blood. And everyone does have a story. Your story is unique to you. My story is unique to me. Gerard's story is unique to him. Yeah. And. But there's a connected thread between the three of us. Yeah. And the three of us sitting here are complete unknowns yeah. in, in the industry. But a Jim Shockey mm-hmm. or Jason Hairston has just as good a story as me, just as good a story as you, just as good a story as Gerard. Mm-hmm. 
and and that's what I'm put, I'm very very passionate about making sure that our storytelling documentary platform is just is not just famous people. Yeah, it's known and unknown. It's male and female crossing boundaries. It's minorities. Yeah, it's people that you look at and you're like, well, you're not supposed to be a hunter. Yeah, and lo and behold, they're a hunter. Mm-hmm. So. You have this idea, mm-hmm. right? And when when you came up with Blood Origins in your head and you had the vision, mm-hmm. what was the work that you started putting into accomplishing getting your first episode yeah. recorded and structured and, mm-hmm. you know, how... I, Tell us about how that all went down. Yeah, it was interesting. It actually wasn't called Blood Origins to start with. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Oh, how about that? It was called In the, <laughs> it was called in the Blood. Uh-huh. And uh, so to what we did with, to start with is we filmed three pilots. Mm-hmm. We filmed my pilot. We filmed a guy called Lake Pickle and a guy called Keith Polk. And at the time, what Blood Origins was, was very much the interview. That was it. There was nothing before, there was nothing after, it was it. No B-roll, Cut no nothing. Time. Just straight <clears throat> interview. Yeah. And that was our pilots, three pilots like that. And I took my, and at the time it was called In the Blood, and, and that's why we've never changed the ending. That's why the ending says it's In the Blood, mm-hmm. because that was what it was called, it was In the Blood. And uh, we, I put it in front of Will Primos, because Lake Pickle works for Will Primo, so Will, mm-hmm. he said, I'll get you a, a, a meeting with Will. So we got a meeting with Will, and um, Will looked at it, and I knew we had something when Will didn't even talk about what it looked like. He turned around and says, do you own it? So do you own the name? I said, what do you mean? I said, I've got a federal trademark you know, right now for In the Blood. He goes, no, 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 is there anybody out there that is in the space that has in the blood in their name. And there were two. A kid in Wisconsin and this guy out of California Mm -hmm. that was literally about to drop a whole season of content. I don't know where he went, but he was called, his thing was called Fire in the Blood. Mm -hmm. And Will said, pivot now. Change your name right now before you have emotional heartbreak in two or three years time when somebody that has in the blood in them does something wrong and you're associated with them or you go to court and you're forced to change because you may not have enough money to fight them and they may have a lot of money. Yeah. I was like, okay. And I bet I was so dead set on in the blood. And I thought and thought and thought and thought. And my wife and I came up with this this idea of blood origins because it's sort of the derivative of your blood, the derivative of you, the origin of you. And I went, we, we took the kids swimming and, uh, and down to a, a, a neighbor's house. And I was sitting there with the two neighbors and I was explaining that I'm changing the name. I said, because, but I want the name to be about who you are. I want the name, I want it to be where you've come from. I want it to be tied to your heritage. I want it to be, you know, something you can relate to. Mm-hmm. And the guy next to me goes, you should call it Blood Origins. And I said, exactly. Nailed it. And I knew I had it. Yeah. 
And uh, thank God for that. That was it. Yeah. And, and now it's it's you know it's, and you know the, I love we got the logo built, with Blood Origins, and the logo is, you know, there's so much detail in the logo. The logo, the blood is shaped like a bullet. The the O is a DNA. It's a DNA helix. Um, the DNA out of the DNA helix comes a family tree. Mm-hmm. You know, a family tree of heritage. So my grandfather leading to my father, leading to me, leading to my grandson. But now all of a sudden, that that family tree represents the Blood Origins community, yeah. and represents the people we're filming, the pe- and the community we're starting to build. Because yeah. each episode leads me to the next episode. So Gerard, who's sitting here, yeah, we filmed a guy in season one called Joey Gaucher. Big Duck Hunter, and uh, was an exceptional episode. We filmed it in the swamp. Um, and once we filmed Joey and we put it out there, then I, I, what we do is we ask the people who we interviewed, all right, who do we go after next? Because all of a sudden they've become a part of our family and become champions on our behalf. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, it's a unique model. It's a really neat model. And so Joey reached out to Gerard and said, hey, Gerard, you interested? Yeah. And uh, Gerard being the guy he was, he said, yeah, I'm interested. And So, Gerard, why don't you introduce yourself? So, uh, my name is Gerard Massey. And, uh, um, I live in Southern California. I'm a diehard duck hunter. Yeah. I hunt um, in Southern California. I hunt uh, the wildlife refuge out there. And uh, as a day trade, I'm a psychiatric technician, so I work at a forensic psych facility. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> How's that? It's cool, man. I've been there for uh, 13 years now. Like 5150s? And- yeah, and long term. Yeah? Yeah. So 1026, incompetence and trial, 1370s, uh-huh. uh, not guilty by reason of insanity. So, you get approached by blood origins. <laughs> <laughs> What's your reaction? So, uh, Joey Gauthier, he actually... Um, he hits me up and he says, hey man, this guy out there, they're making this documentary. And um, I gave him your name, do you want to do it? And I told him, I told him no at first. Cool. <laughs> I told him, nah man, I'm, I'm not good in front of the camera. I don't know if I got a good, you know, good words and stuff for him. He goes, no, you'll be all right. And I said, all right, man, I'll think about it. He's like, okay, I'll give him your number. And then um, Robbie uh, texts me. And I was hey, dude, my story is different from everybody else's. Um, you know, I didn't grow up in America hunting. Um, Where'd you grow up? In pa- uh, grew up in America. Mm-hmm. I moved around when I was nine years old. Okay. But I didn't hunt until I was uh, 26. Okay. Yeah. So uh, my parents hunted. My dad hunted, actually, in Pakistan. Mm-hmm. And um, he hunted with his brothers and his dad, and um, they would hunt with uh, pellet guns. They would hunt pigeon and quail, dove, chucker. So um, when he moved to America, um, he came out here and he started nursing career all over again. So he was busy, um, you know, raising two boys and taking care of the kids and the wife. And, um, you know, it's, it's tough coming to a new country, country and starting all over. So yeah. hunting kind of got thrown in the back burner. Yeah. So I, I, I didn't grow up hunting. But those stories that I had of him, um, you know, when I was taught as a child, he always told me stories of hunting. And those always stuck to me, so I always wanted to go hunting. Yeah. Yeah. So you decided one day to dive into it. I did, yeah. So, um, my so dad you dove al- into bird hunting. 
Yeah, yeah. So my dad... Um, You're like a diehard duck hunter. I am. Big time. Big time. Southern California. Yeah. 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 So um, how I started off was um, my dad always talked about pellet guns. and I love pellet guns. Yeah. So I bought him one. And then, um, you know, I started shooting it too in the backyard. And it was fun. You know? Yeah. So uh, me and my cousin, um, who his dad and my dad hunted together, started pellet guns in the backyard. And um, we're like, dude, we got to go out and get a hunting license. So we wouldn't know the process for anything. So we went out and took our hunter safety course. We got our license, and um, <clears throat> we didn't know what we were doing, mm-hmm. right? So um, we go to the shooting range, and um, I told Robbie the story. We're at the shooting range, and we're, we're sighting in our um, sighting in our um, pellet guns. You know, put a set at 25 yards, and um, sighting it in. The guy next to me had a big bang, and I was like, "Dude, what are you shooting?" That guy had a, a elephant gun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's about to go to Africa. And oh really? <laughs> yeah, and we're sitting next to him with a little, you know, plinking with a BB gun. So we had a humble beginning, man. So we just started talking to people at the range, and they told us you can, you know, get a shotgun, and you know, so we went through the whole process of buying a shotgun and all that, and you know, kind of leads me to what I am today. So originally you told him no. I told no, him, he didn't tell me no. I told Joey. <laughs> oh, you told Joey no. Told so Joey. you guys hadn't even spoke yet. Mm-hmm. No. Okay. So, how did it come around to you guys actually talking? So, um, Joey asked me if he can give him a contact number. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, sure. So, he'd give it to him, and, and the whole time I was thinking about it, no, I don't know if I want to do it. I wanted to do it, but I was kind of nervous. Yeah. You know? And then, um, when he called me and um, told me about the project and everything about it, and I was like, dude... This is something that I should do because my story is so different from everybody else's. And like he always says, everybody has their own story, mm-hmm. right? And that was mine. Yeah. So, kind of just fit in perfect. And your episode? It comes out December 11th. Next week. Next week. Next week. Yeah. I downloaded the trailer and I can put, uh, let's see if we can. How long is it? It's freaking 35 seconds. It's legitimate, dude. Yeah. Like, I didn't show you. I showed him today. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Let me find it quickly for you. Yeah. Because we did a lot today. Yeah, we did do a lot today. <laughs> yeah. Have a look. Hold on. Let me start it again for you. So the this is the trailer for freak. Gerard Gerard's episode. It'll drop... Uh, next week. Uh, on two days' time. Two yeah. days. Typical. Typical electronics. <laughs> so, when Americans think of hunters, they usually picture a white guy from the Midwest using this mid-age, um, driving down a dirt road in his pickup truck. So when people see me, they're shocked when they find out that I hunt. And especially when they find out that I hunt ducks in California, that totally throws them off loop. I think the funniest thing about that trailer and that specific audio clip yeah. is I don't think anybody drives a bigger truck than Gerard does. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. What kind of truck you got? Oh, I got a uh, Dodge Ram 2500. There diesel. you go. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That'll do it. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So Gerard's story is, is, is sort of the epitome of this project. Yeah. First generation Pakistani-American. 
lives in Los Angeles. I keep saying you live in Los Angeles, but you do live in Los Angeles. The greater Los Angeles than Los Angeles. And you're this diehard duck hunter, which is just a dichotomy of, you know, yeah, of context, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Blood Origins in the middle of season two. Middle of season two. We will finish season two in the first week of January. Mm-hmm. And we will finish with Jim Shockey. How do you feel about that? I'm pretty darn good about it. You do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's been an amazing season. It's been, you know, we opened with Jason Hairston and we all know what happened with Jason and that's really how we connected. Yeah. And um, and that's why we're here in Dixon again today. Um, we filmed some good episodes today for future seasons. We've got quite a bit of content in the background and 2019 is really going to be we're going to challenge the status quo even more in 2019 we've got a lot of project ideas and little project um pieces working right Mm now um i'm very much interested in exploring the lines of hunting as conservation Mm -hmm. there's very poor content if none at all that truly illustrates what how hunting is conservation people we talk about it all the time yeah we preach it all the time but there's no good content that shows hunting is conservation uh-huh like good video content yeah i get what you're saying so we're going to explore that i've got um we fostered a potential partnership with a team in zambia okay and uh they've got a very interesting story about mm-hmm. to happen in zambia Africa, Zambia, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah the, the project has, you know, we've been going for 13 months now, 14 months, and we have, we're talking to people in New Zealand, in Australia, Denmark, Denmark is the most hunting progressive country in the world right now. Um, really? Been, I didn't know that. Yeah, all. so they are expanding hunting regulations countrywide uh-huh. for hunting. It's really? not happening anywhere else in the world. Yeah. Bow hunting is being expanded. They just accepted falconry. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, it's big big time. In, a, in, a, in Europe where, you know, hunting is... The traditions of hunting pretty much are... It's the genesis. Yeah. And they're just losing hunting heritage left, right, and center. Right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we've got people in Spain. We've got people in Wales. We've got people in Scotland. Wow. It's the, the the reach has been it's incredible. expanding. Yeah, <laughs> it's expanding quickly so, to say. Global, yeah, it's exciting. global community. Huh? Yeah, a global community, and that's who we are. We're, it's a global community of hunters. Yeah, that's amazing, man. Yeah. So you're looking at a pretty decent season three, then. Yeah, season three will be different. Yeah, and then season four will be even more different than that and are you planning into season four or oh yeah like what we filmed today i think both those both the afternoon episodes today will be no no one of them will be season four one maybe season three yeah um but yeah we're already thinking into season four and i really want you know we've we focused on hunting thus far Mm -hmm. because that's the passion that's the point of the project yeah but that's the birth yeah, and but that thing that's in our blood is translates into other so much more outdoor activities, yeah. and so there's an opportunity to explore and blur that line of of quote unquote hunting. 
Well, you know, and it's so funny because a lot of times when I talk to so many people um, about hunting, me growing up in an area where, no, you just don't hunt. You don't talk about it. If you hunt, you keep your mouth shut because you'll get, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. expelled from society, stoned to death, and maybe shot. Um, Marin County, California, it's a beautiful place. (laughs) but for me, I, I, I come personally from generations of hunters, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. half my family originally came to America in the 1500s, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So we've been hunting forever. There's no break right. in a cycle of hunting. I learned, you know, from my father who learned from his father. Yep. I have pictures of both of my grandfathers hunting together pre-World War II. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it goes way back. But then there's there's so many people that have never experienced hunting. They've never yep. experienced anything or, or vegetarians, you know what I mean? And and I do these barbecues and I and I cook venison and I can't tell you how many vegetarians or vegans that I've had that have been like, oh, that's that's wild game that you actually you killed that yourself well can i try that because they're willing to try that yeah and when they do it's almost like the look that goes over their face while having it is primal Mm -hmm. and it's in their blood Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and you can see that Mm -hmm. you can see that it's in their blood by the expressions on their face. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like something from nature takes over and drives them Mm -hmm. to have more. Yeah. You know what I mean? And try more. Yeah. You know, I honestly think that is, and I've actually, it's funny you say that the last two or three weeks I've had the same conversation with a very good friend who's a vegetarian. And I said, well, why are you a vegetarian? She's like, well, it's just because of the whole industrial food complex and you know I don't know what goes on and what nonsense okay well what if you knew exactly where your meat came from Mm -hmm. and how it was taken and who processed it like me like the wild duck pastrami that I made and you know exactly I killed it I know I took it off the bone I did everything and then you made a pastrami Uh I need to try this it is Next time, it is legitimate. Bring me some. It is the. That I, sounds legitimate. It is legitimate. So you're talking to this friend. And, she's, of yours. and she, if I don't even know, she wasn't there. Maybe no, she did not eat the meat. But she was intrigued enough to like say, maybe. Yeah, maybe because I haven't really thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. So you're onto something, and I think that's like you know the locavore movement. All of that is is only a positive for yeah for hunting. Yeah. 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 It's amazing, isn't it? It's it's where we want to go. Yeah. So what do you see for the future of you with blood origins and and all of that? You know, I'll let the Lord decide where where it decides to go. Um just keep going. Yeah, we'll just keep putting content out there. We'll keep telling really Riding good stories. Way. Um we'll keep surprising people and that's what I want you know. I want to people to not know what's going to hit the waves next. Yeah. You know, what's the next story they're going to see? Is it going to be a Gerard Massey or is it going to be this, you know, prissy, prissy girl that you think, what, 
is this? Yeah. And she turns out to be a diehard duck hunter too. Yeah. Um, or it's a really famous person. Or it's a really famous mainstreamer. Mm-hmm. Or it's a surfer. Or if it's, or it's a skateboarder or whatever. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Yeah. We'll just keep you guessing. Right? Isn't that the beauty of it though? That's the beauty of the project because, you know, we tell stories and everyone has that story. And that, that, that uniqueness to each person's story is that, you know, yeah. people get different things out of different stories. Yeah. You know, and it may also, you know, it hurts us and helps us. It hurts us because you look at, you know, these outdoor channels, they probably have the same audience. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the same 10,000 people watch it and they watch it all the way through versus in my stories that if you take a populace of 10,000, 3,000 might like episode one, 3,000 might like episode two, and those 3,000 are completely different. Yeah. Right. And so it hurts us because we don't have, you know, 100,000 people watching us because we're not the same thing every every time. We, right. You know, we have, but hopefully one day we'll get up to those big numbers and whatnot. And, yeah. You know, we're young, we're hungry, we're, we're doing things that somebody of, of this you know, young stage of a project shouldn't be doing and shouldn't be talking to the people that we're talking to. Mm-hmm. But we are, so. It's happening. It's happening. It's amazing. It is amazing. It's yeah. humbling. Yeah. So, you've been hunting for how many years now? Oh, 2005, probably, 2006. So, you're coming to 14 years. years. Yeah. And coming so, into 14 hot. But I would say only seriously hunting for the last four loving it loving it doing loving it, it wanting to do more going out and doing other hunts yeah so just whitetail and yeah duck hunting in mississippi yeah and um the way that i couch it is that i'm you know i just turned 40 so i'm a 40 year old man but i'm a 13 year old when it comes to it to being a hunter <laughs> yeah so i've never experienced and and it i'm sort of in a catch-22 because you know when typical 13 year olds are running around the Mississippi woods, they're shooting everything. <laughs> you know, they've shot a spike that's, and they're so proud of it. Yeah. And it took me seven years to kill a buck. Your first one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it happened last year because I know what I'm looking for. Yeah. I know what a mature animal's supposed to look like. My first I year want, took me seven, or took me 10 years. Yeah, I want to harvest a mature animal. I want, you know, I want them, to, I give them, you know, let them grow another year kind of thing. Yeah. So. So yeah, now I'm really, like, I've really caught the bug, and now I'm, <laughs> I'm starting to explore, like, okay, I want to go here, and I want to go here, and I want to do this, and I want to try this. Uh-huh. So. That's the same for me duck hunting. So when I first started out, I was just burning shells, man. I just wanted to get on and shoot, 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 shoot. Mm-hmm. Now I kind of went from that to, like, limits. One of limits, all of our limits, filling my strap. Yeah, but now I'm more of like, oh man, I haven't shot this duck. Yeah, so I'm gonna travel this state, try to get this duck. I haven't shot this duck, so I shot the we got the wood duck today, which was cool. I haven't shot that before. I have a good buddy who just came back. I want to say from Washington on a voyage of shooting a specific Harlequin? duck. Probably. Probably I, I'm not familiar. I'm not that familiar with waterfowl. Yeah. Um. Uh, and. Uh, he went up there and I think it was like boom day one you got it yeah he got it he's yeah. getting it mounted yeah it was like you today with the wood duck right you right. know yeah awesome stuff yeah yeah awesome stuff so 14 years coming in hot 
<laughs> yeah. 2018. Mm-hmm. You had a black bear hunt. My second black bear hunt in Maine. In Maine. Week-long black bear hunt. I've tree stand hunting. Tree stand hunting. The hardest hunting. You, you think going up 10,000 foot in Montana in snow is tough? You try sitting in a tree stand for six hours and not moving. So and looking down, it's not just and not tree stand hunting like Mississippi tree stand hunting, yeah. where you can see lots. Yeah. You've got this tunnel in and this that's it. thick, thick, thick main woods, staring down this tunnel with a bait bag on the back end of the of the the tunnel. Yeah, and you are just staring at that for five and a half hours, waiting, wait. Yeah, <coughs> brutal. With nothing to happen. Nothing. How many I, hours did um, you spend in a tree stand? Fifty something. Wow. And how many? In two in two years. In how, two years. Okay, so between two years and how many bears have you taken? A total of zero. A total of zero <laughs> bears. I, not taken, but seen. Oh, and not not even seen. Zero bears seen. Zero bears seen and over fifty hours in yep. a tree stand. Yep. How does that feel? It's tough. It's rough. Oh, and people are killing bears tree around stand, me. Tree people stand are killing bears every, all around me. Yeah. I'm like, I must be doing something wrong. Yeah. You know, like me as a Western hunter, I've never been able to understand tree stand hunting because I can't, I don't think I could sit in a tree that long. Like I need to be out. I need to be moving. I need to go over this hill and go over the next ridge and look into the next drainage and the next valley and mm-hmm. keep going. Mm-hmm. And if there's nothing there, move to the next one and yeah. the next one and the next one. And yeah. I don't think I could sit in it's a tough. tree stand and watch one spot. Like I can sit in a boat and watch the tip of my fishing rod. Mm-hmm. I could do that all day long. Mm-hmm. No problem whatsoever. Like sturgeon fishing on the bay. Yeah. I could watch that the tip of my fly rod all day long waiting for a sturgeon to bite. Mm-hmm. I couldn't sit in a tree stand waiting for for an animal to come out because it's not how my brain has been trained to hunt. Well, it's a different type of hunt. That's total, like, that's a completely different mental toughness mm-hmm. to hunting. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So how have you been dealing with that? Like how like how has that been for you? It is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah. And you're going back next year. I don't think I'm doing it next year. Oh, you're done. I'm gonna have, no no. I don't think I'm done because uh-huh. now it's now it's itchy, yeah. right? So I don't, just don't think I can do a third year. I think I'm gonna have to take a break. <laughs> Let's go do something else. Uh huh. And then go I'll go to come a back. state with better bear hunting, yeah. maybe. Or go to a yeah. This is I would say legitimately. I think Maine is probably the hardest black bear hunting there is in North America. So what made you pick Maine then? I met a a combat marine, mm-hmm. uh, Purple Heart, highly combat decorated. He was on Blood Origins. He's one of our. He was the first. Um, veteran episode of blood origins mm-hmm. he opened up an outfitting business up in maine mm-hmm. and he said hey this is my first year we've got a couple of bait sites bears would you be would you be interested i said yeah and i got a couple of mates together and we went up there and lo and behold he had brought in five um combat vets himself really and we met some legitimate american heroes like they were all purple hearts they were all some of them active, some of them retired. Uh, one guy got blown up by an uh, IED. Mm-hmm. Um, incredible. That first week in Maine, I didn't see a single bear. <laughs> but 
being with those individuals yeah. just changed me. It was like, not, not changed me, that seems cliche. It changed you. It was, it was just so eye-opening to hear firsthand from these guys, yeah. these badasses, like truly, truly heroes and, you know, guys that you want, you know, in a bar fight kind of thing. Yeah. You want so, them at your side. <laughs> so, yeah, that's why I'm, I'm sort of loyal to the, the main band. The main? Yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah that was that. And then, uh, actually, before we went to Maine, I went down to Argentina. So, how was Argentina? Incredible. And what were you hunting down there? Buffalo. Really? Mm-hmm. I went down for a, a Asiatic buffalo, because uh-huh. I've got this thing about buffaloes, any type of buffalo. Yeah. And I want to follow my grandfather's footsteps. He shot a buffalo with... He would kill buffalo with a 416 Rigby open sights. Mm-hmm. So I said, all right, that's what I want to do. So I went down to Argentina. And uh, and killed a buffalo with a 416 Rigby at, with open sights at 63 wow. yards. And wow. it was everything I thought it was going to be. It was the first time that I knew if you don't do right... <laughs> He'll kill you. Oh, easy. And so it was incredible. Everything that I was supposed to, that I thought it was going to be, it was. Mm-hmm. And so now I need to find the next buffalo. The Is bison next on buffalo. the list? Bison's on that list, yeah. Bison. That's yeah. a big buffalo. Bison, musk ox, cape buff, Australian buff. There's a buffalo, an Asiatic buffalo in, on the border between Brazil and Bolivia. That's just a monster. Really? In the swamps. In the swamps, Ooh. in the Pantanal, yeah, really, wow. Mm-hmm. wow, which would be cool from a, since I'm a swamp guy, okay. a wetland ecologist, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and the only other, the only place I really want to kill a buffalo, in Africa would be in a place called the Marumeo, mm-hmm. which is the biggest wetland complex in Mozambique, mm-hmm. five hundred thousand hectares, so it's about one point two million acres of swamp. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. That's a big swamp. Yeah, it's the delta of the Zambezi River. Yeah. Huge. Used to have huge herds of buffalo, and now they're coming back. Through hunters, through hunter efforts. Through conservation. concessions, yeah. Yeah, yeah, hunting concessions. Um, So yeah, I did Argentina, did Maine, and then went on my first western bow hunt. Went hunting for elk. Uh Uh-huh. 10,000 feet elevation. How was this? (laughs) It was eye-opening it was humbling it was it was humbling is not the word it was I missed an elk opening afternoon because my arrow ricocheted off my blind I missed him by a mile mm-hmm. he's at 34 yards he's at 800 yards at 719 and at 724, he was 34 yards from me. Is that not insane how much distance they can cover like and, that? And I was locked steady. It was no problems. And I missed him by a country mile. And it was just like this innate... It was what I was saying before. I'm this 13-year-old hunter. But I put so much pressure on myself to kill an elk with a bow. That it was just like... To me, I'd failed. To me, I'd failed everybody. I'd failed my wife. I'd failed my kids. I'd failed. I put all this money and all this time, taking time off work, and I just missed. On day one. On day one. Of and how many days? Four. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have. We saw a lot more elk. We never got another opportunity. Really. So, 
Day one, you miss your elk off a fluke arrow hitting the blind. Well, at the time, we didn't know it. Yeah. Once you pieced it all together, you watched the footage, started thinking like, there's no way. Yeah. So, yeah. So come to the end of the trip, what was what was the feeling for you going home with with tags? Terrible. Uh huh. Terrible. It's not well. It's not the first time I've eaten tag soup. So yeah. Um, but it was just more of the. I think what I'd done was I. I set such a high expectation. Mm-hmm. of not just only me but my friends like I built up to this hunt like I worked out like crazy because I live on such flat lands yeah I'd going up take, that 200 foot bridge yeah yeah <laughs> I'd taken on a, a massive you a know, 10, strength, foot mountain in that 200 foot bridge <laughs> strength and conditioning program and you know I was strong I was you know that the altitude got me in the first you know day day and a half but after that I had gas for days Mm-hmm. You know, a guy that I was with actually shot an elk, and uh, it was nothing to take that elk off the mountain. It was just like, um, but it was, yeah, it was super disappointing, extremely disappointing, yeah. extremely frustrating. Yeah. Um, you know, because I had all these expectations with people, and, and I was just like, it was the, it was, you know, the thing that all hunters experience. Mm-hmm. It was the thing that, and you know, it was like, man, after that first afternoon, it was like, I'm going home. I'm done. This is, <laughs> it was, it, and, and you laugh at defeat. it. Defeat. It, it was defeat. Well, I laugh because I relate. Yeah, because we all can relate. Yeah. We can all relate. Yeah. And that's, you know, unfortunately. That's, that's why I laugh. It's because I can relate. Unfortunately, a lot of, you know, there is the expectation of, of killing. And you just got to look, and and that's what you'll see. We'll, we're we're gonna we're gonna create a film, and it's gonna be a part of the Blood Origins. So every season we release a journey, which is a longer form piece of content around a story. Yeah. And so that hunt we're gonna release as a journey in 2019. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, at the end of the hunt, I, or maybe the second to last day, I just we were walking along, and I just stopped, and I told Drew the cameraman, I said, just start recording. And did he stop? Yeah, no. That's yeah. That's he stopped, but I just, <laughs> I just started talking, and I was like, "Why am I not smiling? Why am I not enjoying this?" Yeah, you should have watched one of my Instagram stories. <laughs> yeah, it's true. All I needed was you <laughs> no, laughing and smiling. <laughs> um, it was just, it was something I needed. It was something that. It was a good lesson learned. It was a good experience. It was, it was another notch in my my hunting resume to become a better hunter, to become a better hunter for my boys because I, they deserve it. Now, you know what I love about what you just said is that what you just said is that your failure is giving you the drive to be more successful in the future, work harder, grind it out, train better, whatever it may be, you're going you're gonna to strive for more assurance that you'll be successful with a kill in your next hunt. Yeah. Right? And that's something that I love about hunting and about hunters is that our failures actually are our greatest successes. Mm-hmm. 
Because that's what drives us to go so much further next time and put so much more effort and energy forward next time. Mm -hmm. A a friend of mine that I connected through Instagram on in the UK, his name's Matt Moss, put this quote on his Instagram and and I've written it down because I I love it. And the quote is, persistence is a virtue. Patience is a behavior learned through failure yeah and that's what we do that's we're you know we persist in 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 hunting because we're hunters Mm -hmm. but because we also fail and endlessly and we become more patient yeah because we fail yeah so it's it's part of it and here's the other thing i say to people when somebody says i had this a young girl asked me about hunting i said well how would you define hunting how would you define... I'm asking you, Andy. How do you define hunting? My first initial reaction would be what part? Mm-mm. No, no, I no. Know, I know. I want an English definition of hunting. If you went to the Oxford Dictionary and said, what is the definition of hunting? I wouldn't know it. Okay, so then... So, let me catch it this way. What's the definition of killing? Ending something's life. Okay, there is, and let me, there is, there is a clear difference between hunting and killing. Yes. And what is that? Well, you're not, if you were killing on every hunt, you wouldn't be hunting, you'd be killing. Killing has a finality of purpose to it. Mm -hmm. Killing means it happens every single time. Mm -hmm. Hunting, hunting as a definition inherently has failure built into it Uh hunting is defined by by search and chase yeah okay searching means you're always going to be looking for something (laughs) searching means you're always going to look for something chasing means you're going to chase something searching and chasing inherently have failure tied to them yeah killing has no failure tied to it killing is an ultimate killing is is a finality killing as is it yeah hunting has failure built inherently throughout every single letter of that word yeah yeah I never looked at it like that and that when I told it it was a 16 year old girl that asked me and she was like huh I said so next time somebody asks you what's the definition of hunting you say well it can't be killing because if it's all about killing then why would I fail 80% of the time I go out? It's like fishing and catching. <coughs> Correct. Yeah. That's, you just blew my awesome. mind. It's late at night as well. It is. So it's been I'm a long getting, day. I'm, it's been too. a long day. It's, uh, I get more and more philosophical. Uh, philosophical as I. So you're saying we need at least two more hours. I think your audience would is about to turn off this podcast I don't believe two so. more hours. <laughs> I don't believe so. I think some people just turned it up a little bit. Oh, man. Yeah. No, it's been a great hunting season. It's been a really nice, you know, we've got, obviously, we duck hunted today a little bit. We'll do a little bit more duck hunting in Mississippi, a little bit more white deer hunting. <laughs> and then we will wait for the disease that is turkey season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What kind of turkey do you have over there? Easterns, the hardest easterns in the country. Uh, 
the hardest turkey in the country, actually. Really? Mississippi birds. Mississippi and really? Alabama birds. Really? Why is Toughest? that? Because they've had people chasing them, hunting them for... Ever. That's ever. like California deer. Well, ever. Yeah. And it's so like they're just deer. super wary and super smart and... Just, <coughs> I don't know if ours are weary and smart. I think they're just... Population is being decimated by predators. Yeah. And vehicles. Yep. And they're all on private land. Yeah. So... We said we went duck hunting today. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. Awesome. Let's talk. I mean, I don't know how much you want to talk about today, because Uh, it's coming. We can talk in the abstract. In the abstract. We will say this. um, So we woke up at five thirty this morning. We did. Oh yeah. We woke up before my alarm went off for work. (laughs) (laughs) It's because I was on Central Time. You're definitely not on California time. We were definitely on California time this morning. Yeah, um, yeah. We woke up early. We filmed a a non hunter this morning who's been involved in probably some of the most prolific and epic hunts. Yeah, all yeah. over the place. And that's you know if you I don't know if I've said this already in the podcast, so forgive me if I have. But the whole point of the project, the whole point of Blood Origins, is to reach across the aisle to that non hunter mm-hmm. and showcase this is who we are. Yeah. And so it's almost more so than the Elmer Fudd. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's almost a little then a little self serving that a hunter is explaining to a non hunter this is why yeah. you should be okay with hunting. Yeah. And so we have started exploring telling non hunter perspectives on hunting. Mm-hmm. And that's what we filmed this morning. And then this afternoon, we filmed two mainstreamers, I call them. Yeah. Uh, two people that are in the mainstream, um, you know, athlete game, if you want to call it that. Um, could have been movie stars, could have been whatever. Established athletes. Established mainstreamers. Mm-hmm. And they have an audience that is both hunting and non-hunting. Yeah. And so it's important there because... They'll, re- they'll be able to reach that audience that we're re- looking for. Right. right now, up until now, we've been preaching essentially to the choir. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that, but that's not the objective of the project. Yeah. You know, I want to reach that, that, those 300 million Americans, not yeah. the you know, 20 million that are hunters. So, coming to the close of the day today... Mm-hmm. The sunset was spectacular, to say the least. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You hit an amazing goal of, of killing your first wood duck. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And that was like... At the last second. <laughs> the Literally in the last minute of shooting light. Yeah. Someone said, put your camera down, take this shotgun, and then there was your wood duck, and you shot your bird. Right. Right? So what was it like for you coming to a close of the day? We get back to the vehicles, waiters coming off. Uh, it, was, it was just how we started this podcast. It yeah. was like the weight and anxiety of the day because it, just, it took a lot of coordinating. It took a lot of logistics. Um, we, we not only filmed people's stories today, we had a side project 
that was inherently tied to QU and Jason Hairston and, mm-hmm. you know, tied to these two individuals that were very close to Jason. And so it was a very meaningful day. It was a, an emotional packed day. And, you know, just walking out of that duck blind, looking at the sunset and just smiling, really. That's what we could do. It was just like we pulled it off. Like you're smiling that we pulled it off, smiling that was awesome, smiling that we killed ducks, smiling that, you know, we were in the company of awesome people. Yeah. Just, oh. Everybody was smiling. Everyone was smiling. It was like just, big smiles. Like shit-eating grins, big smiles right. on every face. That's right. It was a good day. Yeah, it was a great day. Notch it in the good column. Yeah. Tack it up right there. That's right. Right? That's right. Right? How was it for you? Unreal, man. Unreal. Just, um, to me, hunting's more about just, um, like, like, obviously not about just killing, but just enjoying your time with your buddies and your friends and, you know, meeting new people. Memories. Memories. And what we saw today is something that you're not going to forget, right? Yeah. Just, um. The depth. Yeah. Yeah. Just. You know, the sunset and the weather ducks were just whistling and coming in and yeah. how they were banking and they would see something in a flare away and yeah. tuck in. I'll stick with you. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it was awesome, man. Yeah. It was awesome. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely a great day. I had a great time. Well, we appreciate you being here. Yeah. So we always get a little weird in our podcast. Okay. Throw a little curveball out there. Okay. All right. I'm going to include you in on this, but yours is going to be different from his. <laughs> All right. So, if I cut off both of your arms, right, and you had to play, replace them with two different things, and you're stuck with those for the rest of your life, Two different things. What, like what are these things? a thing on each arm. You tell me. That's. Can I get my arms back? No. But so arms are gone, <coughs> man. I cut them off. So the things aren't arms. Yeah. Like what? Oh. So what are you gonna put in place of your arms? PhD. Well, you say things, so naturally. I mean, it could be. I, it could I be gravitate, a che- I gravitate it, back to. It could be a cheese grater. It could be a cheese grater and a celery stick. <coughs> a cheese grater and a celery stick. Um, you know? I would... Uh, and this is... I, I would say one of my things mm-hmm. would be a hammer. Okay. Because a hammer can do lots of things. A, a hammer, hammer can, can get a lot of stuff can done. Can build things, can destroy things, can intimidate things. You can, can keep hammering. I can keep hammering, like Cameron Haynes would say. Um, and then the other thing, jeez, it was so easy to come by. The hammer was... It's almost like it was a given for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no idea, dude. You got one, you got... You need to run around stump-armed and a, and a hammer? Maybe, maybe. That's... Yeah. Like I want to, I want to say something electronic. Um, I don't know, man. Like, what if it was a shotgun? At least then you could still hunt birds. 
Uh, I would say a shotgun and a camera me. for me. That's, I'm a asking what? you a different question. A shotgun and a camera. This is this is our shotgun Jedi Outfitters camera. minute. So we're gonna be we'll be diving into you on a whole different level. Uh, I will say some sort of utensil, like a fork. A I hammer a and fork. a fork. A hammer and a fork, because the fork I can feed myself with. Yeah. A hammer I can I Kill can do stuff. something with, <laughs> and the fork I can be dexterous with. I can eat with. I can move things with. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Both very practical items. Yeah. Unlike a cheese grater and a celery stick. I mean, <laughs> hey, some people. to his own, right? You know, to his own. Different strokes. <laughs> different strokes. <laughs> So, Gerard, mm -hmm. if you were to be trapped on a desert island, mm -hmm. all right, and blaring from the sky every single day, on repeat was one song which song would be your song that you were stuck listening to by yourself on the desert island alone for the rest of your life hmm. you're all hey I like that dead eye question better yeah, you can have that one what kind of freaking question is that I mean, that's the one you sent me <laughs> Do you want me to spice it up? Is I'll make it more spicy. No, 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 no. Are you sure? This. I'm good. It would definitely be a um, a gospel song. Okay. Yeah, something that's um, praising God. Okay. Right. And um, basically just saying that I'm nothing, and He's everything. Uh huh. Yeah. That constant reminder at every yeah. second of every day. Yeah. To just trust that it's going to be okay? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I like that. Mm -hmm. That works. That works. Yeah. Celery stick and a cheese grater? Is that what I said? <laughs> That's what you said. What the fuck? You were useless. <laughs> useless. Just going to grate my celery on. Try, <laughs> try and get something else. Yeah. I know, right? Yep. Eventually, maybe, I'd run out of things to grind. Nope. So, do you have any concluding thoughts? Any any pressing notions? Anything you'd like to say? Uh, no, I think that... Uh, I think we've covered a lot. Um, I think that... I think we all need to explore being narrative changes. Mm -hmm. I think we need to put context behind what we put out there as hunters. So saying that, would you like to talk about how you feel social media has impacted the hunting industry or hunting and hunters? I, I, I think that social media has forced us to always put our best foot forward, has changed us being, has changed the hunting industry to be this almost um, thing that's unachievable for those trying to be new hunters or yeah. looking up to different people. Well, because Jay uh, Tots is always watching, so it just... That's correct. Yeah. 
and also I think that the social media has reduced our ability to storytell. Mm-hmm. I think that people forget, go ahead and post your big buck, but you know, why not in your caption explain everything that led up to that moment? Mm-hmm. Or post three pictures prior to dropping the big buck picture that explains leading up to that moment. Mm-hmm. Explains the why, explains the what, explains the who, explains, you know, what it all means. Mm-hmm. That's the narrative. That's the, that's the story. Mm-hmm. And we're not doing a good job in telling it. Mm-hmm. So... I challenge you, I challenge everybody that's listening to this. Do a better job. Be a narrative changer. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Right on. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for taking some time. Not a problem. Coming over the mic with us. Got a hot mic. Love it. (laughs) Gerard, do you have any closing statements? Anything you'd like to say? Ready to hit the bed, man. You're ready to go to sleep. <laughs> it's ninety night time. Ninety night time, a long day. Working it's not even that late, man. It's only eleven o'clock, dude. We're about to go to the bar, bro. <laughs> I don't drink. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not going to the bar. Right on. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. You know, love it. Thank and, you. Uh, Thank you. I look forward to the next time that we get to meet. Hopefully, in Salt Lake or maybe at Cheap Show. Yeah, maybe. And. Uh, you know, we'll go from there and we'll stay in touch and you know. It's been a it's been a pleasure getting to know you for the for last sure. how many ever months that it's been since right. we first started discussing this and right. you know, I look forward to what the future holds and thank you everybody who tuned in. Thanks for tuning in to the show folks. If you'd like to check us out online, our website is www.theflipflopguide.co. You can find out all the information you need to have your own flip-flop in your own backyard. We encourage this, and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across America. You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops from my grandfather since the 1960s. If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website Maui Nui Axis Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at the flip flop guy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to smash that subscribe button.